0: This is the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. We exist to help all kinds of people find and follow Jesus. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Would you remain standing with me? as we recite the Lord's Prayer together this morning. Say this with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. So a brief apology for my voice this morning. I've been battling the respiratory issues this week. All is well. I took a COVID test. It's negative. I'm good to shake hands with. afterwards, or if you don't want to, whatever. That's okay. So there are exactly 47 days until the annual Turner family vacation, which I could not be more excited about. My last name is Turner, if you don't know who I am. So what the deal is, is that everybody has their place, right? A lot of you go to Florida. A lot of you go to different places, and you just... You just think it's your place once you get there, right? You immediately have this sense of relaxation when you get to your place. The Turner Place is a little bit different. And I've had a number of discussions with you about this before, but we go to Branson, Missouri every year. And that's a little bit different. It's the Midwest. It's the Ozarks. It's great, but typically you think that might be where more seasoned and wiser individuals go once they've reached a certain status in life. Because when you go to Branson, there's Silver Dollar City, there's Southern Gospel music, there's bluegrass music, there's all of these great things that you can enjoy, but they typically cater toward older audiences. But my family and I, we love it. We go every single year. Our kids are still at an age where they love it too. But one of the things that I love about going there is sight and sound theaters. Now, they have locations in Branson, Missouri, and they also have a location in Amish country in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. But the the great thing about sight and sound is that you get to go and witness a state-of-the-art presentation of the Bible coming to life. And whatever particular story of the Bible they might have going on in a particular time, it's not going to disappoint. And last year was our first time to see Jesus. It's a full theatrical production, and you're looking at it from the seats to the, to the main stage, but there are also stages on the sides of the theater. So it's fully interactive and there's so many different things going on and they bring in live animals and they do all of these things that are just like wow how did they do that with a stage production but we got to see Jesus for the first time last week and there's a particular encounter that Jesus has that's based out of Mark chapter 5 where we will be today so if you have your bibles go ahead and mark your place in mark chapter 5 but Jesus has this encounter with this man who is oppressed by demons. And when you see this on stage, I began to develop a deeper appreciation for this particular encounter, and I was thinking to myself, man, i got to have the opportunity to preach on this one day. And so today's my moment. You're witnessing history. This is great. And I thought, you know, we have a couple of standalone weeks where we can kind of preach through whatever we want in preparation for us continuing through our series in Colossians. We're going to pick back up with that in a couple of weeks. But what, are, what better way to make everybody feel relaxed today than to talk about demon possession, right? So it's good. Everybody's comfortable. Everybody's relaxed. And so we're going to have a good time with this. But In order to kind of set the stage for what's going on in Mark chapter 5, let's back it up a little bit to that last section of Mark chapter 4 and read this together, starting in verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Let me stop right there for a second. This is a representation of the limitation of Jesus's humanity. And so it's very interesting to note here that Jesus himself needed to rest. Sometimes One of the most godly things that you and I can do is take a stinking nap. So, if you find yourself at your wit's end, ready to just blow up on anything and everybody, go take a nap, and then wake up and carry about your day. Jesus subjected himself to his humanity in ways like sleeping. That's for free. That has nothing to do with the sermon at all. Make a note of that and ask each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So Jesus is moving from calming a violent storm at sea to calming a violent storm within a man, thus further demonstrating himself as Lord over everything. And so let's pick up and read verses 1 through 20 in Mark chapter 5. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. It's very important right there. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the region. Verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. In the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed so let's break this down for a second we're going to systematically walk through these 20 verses and we're going to see some very interesting things some very interesting exchanges that take place between this man who is possessed and Jesus himself So, Jesus and his disciples are crossing over the Sea of Galilee to the eastern side. Now, if you're looking at it on a map, when you're going to the east of the Sea of Galilee in first century Palestine, that's Gentile territory. That is simply somewhere where Jews do not go. And so, you have Jesus, a Jew himself, in a boat full of his Jewish fishermen. You can imagine what's going through the disciples' mind at this point. Like, why are we going to this place? We do not visit this place. But see what it it mentions in verses 3. Let's back up to verse 3. The man lived in the tombs. Now, let's, let's take this for what it is real fast. The tombs imply a tomb that would be... A burial structure that is above the ground. It would be similar to the tomb that Jesus would later be laid in after he was crucified. But these tombs are above ground structures and they could even be in caves or carved out of the rock. But the man is living amongst these, walking in and out of these, exposed to dead bodies, so he is living in them. He had been excommunicated from the area that he had lived in because he could no longer be with. Ta- he can no longer be restrained by any form of the townspeople. He was so oppressed by this demonic activity that had taken place within him that he could no longer be restrained. He's busting through every chain. He's breaking open everything that he possibly can because he is so oppressed. But at the same time, let me go ahead and mention that the text seems to indicate, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but we'll get there in a second, the text is seemingly to indicate that not only is this man oppressed, but there are also glimpses of who he was that still remain. And so he's living among the tombs. But everything about this particular encounter from a first century Jewish context is unclean. Jews exposure to anything regarding death rendered them unclean. If and if they did not cleanse themselves appropriately, they were cut off from Israel. Thousands of pigs were feeding on the hillside, as we just read, read about. Pigs are parted at the hoof, and they do not chew the cud. Therefore, they are unclean for the Jews, based on Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 8. The man is powerful, yet he's irreparably tormented. Look at verse 4. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was able to subdue him. That word subdue right there is the word damadzo. And this is used in other places in our New Testament to imply the restraint of a wicked, like ravenous, evil animal. And so Mark is likening this man in his current state to that of just a wild animal that cannot be tamed whatsoever. But I want us to pay attention to what happens. Jesus and his disciples make their way across the Sea of Galilee, and he sets foot on this area of the Gerasenes and something instantly changes. There's something that is known to this man that is oppressed by demons where he's like something different is here. I I sense that maybe there is a presence here that can calm waves upon a sea. And the man himself is thinking, maybe this could be my opportunity for deliverance. And so what happens? We move forward. And we go to verse 6. It says, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Now, what the text is implying right there is he didn't just fall at his knees. This guy prostrated himself in front of Jesus because he understands that he is now in the presence of the divine. But I submit to you, as I said before, the text is indicating that there is a constant struggle within this man to where he does not have all of his faculties about him. But at the same time, there are still traces of him there that are begging for deliverance. They're begging for deliverance from everything that has plagued his mind and his body. And I submit to you this morning that you and I are not very far removed from this man himself. If you think about what Paul says in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you, you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. What this text is communicating is that apart from Christ, we are essentially in an alliance with the adversary himself. Apart from Christ, there is virtually no hope And there is no difference between us and this particular man. Obviously, we're not walking around crazy, naked, and scraping ourselves with stones. But there is this internal conflict going on inside within each and every one of us that we have a hard time shaking. That we have difficulty with on any given day but apart from Christ this is our identity apart from Christ there is no hope and for those of us sitting in this room this morning who have received Jesus as both Savior and Lord we have been delivered from that state but at the same time old habits tend to die hard Verse 7, he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? This is something very interesting because they're in Gentile territory, so this is a polytheistic culture. They worship multiple gods, but this demon understands who Jesus is. Otherwise, he wouldn't have prostrated himself before him. Son of the most high God, Jesus is given his proper title in a region where these multiple gods are worshiped, but he's designated as the son of the true God who is transcendent above every single other God the Gentiles recognize. But what's his question to him? Because he says, come out of him, you impure spirit. But this oppressive force is not necessarily being obedient right from the get-go. Then in verse 9, Jesus asks him, what is your name? This is a personal question. Matt and I were in Orlando a couple of weeks ago, and we had the opportunity, like he said last week, to go and uh, be invested in as far as the pastoral coaching network that we're a part of. But... Matt and I stopped at this Wawa one night because there are Wawas in Florida. If you don't know what a Wawa is, it's a it's a very great convenience store, second only to Bucky's in my opinion. Bucky's, Wawa, QT Racetrack maybe follow, but as far as Bucky's and Wawa, they're pretty much the pinnacle of all convenience stores. So if you haven't met if you haven't yet made it to a Bucky's. You need to go. You just need to go experience it. There's one in Leeds, there's one in Warder Robbins now. You just need to go check it out. How many people have been to Bucky's? Okay, fantastic. So, you know what we're talking about here. Bucky's is the upper echelon, but Wawa, in my opinion, is a close second. But anyway, we get to the Wawa parking lot. And we park directly in front of this man who is sitting at a table by himself with a cup of coffee, which I don't even know if it was his or not. But I'm telling you, I have probably never encountered another person who was that dirty visibly in my entire life. And I didn't really know what to do with it at first because, you know, you see, you often see things like that if you're in Atlanta or different places like that. But there was something that was a little bit off-putting about this particular man because he was sitting there stone-faced. I'm telling you, probably months of days caked on his clothes and his skin. And so I get out of the truck And I walk right up to him and I said, are you hungry? He sort of gave me this little nod. And so him and Matt and myself proceed inside and I'm walking beside him as we're walking inside of the Wawa and I can't tell you if I've ever smelled that rough of a smell before. I honestly can't. Like so much so to where I just kind of had to do the best that I could as my eyes were watering. And so we walk inside, and I just say, get whatever you want. Get whatever you want. And so he just kind of starts casually looking around, and obviously, as you can imagine, people are beginning to look. People are beginning to stare. I mean, I'm talking like that that's the severity of this particular encounter. And finally, he makes a couple of selections. He grabs a sandwich. He grabs... Uh, something sweet. He gets a drink. We walk up. We check out. We go back outside, and we're about to leave. And if you know anything about me, I I typically like to be super clean. Like when I go into restaurants, I will wash my hands before we eat, and I will wash my hands after we eat, before we leave the restaurant. When I go and get gas at Bucky's or Wawa, I will finish getting gas, and I have a little package of wet ones sitting in the console of my truck, which I immediately pull from and sanitize my hands once I've touched the gas pump. That's that's my type of personality. But when we walk outside with this guy, I get as close to him as I comfortably can because there's something in me that's saying, this guy hasn't been graced with the dignity to be approached and to be touched in months. I don't even know if it's longer than that. And I put my hand out and I say, what's your name? And it's almost like a scoff takes place. Like, what do you care about what my name is? Look at me. And he just looks at me and he says, My name's John. And I said, You know what, John? I'm going to be praying that from this moment on, Jesus sends other people that follow me that can take care of you. And remember what Matt said last week? When we have encounters with people where we get to live out the gospel in front of them, don't be weird. It would have been the weirdest exchange in the world for me to sit down with him right there and walk him through a track and say, now, would you like to receive the Lord Jesus as your Savior today? Well, make sure you find a Bible-believing church and let's get you involved in a discipleship program. There was a need beyond that. He needed to be fed physically. He was hungry Jesus goes around meeting physical needs for people, and they understand who he is. In my brief interaction with this man, I got to be the hands and feet of Jesus to him. And I left it by saying, I pray that Jesus sends other people to take care of you. And he said, thank you. But Jesus asks this man, what is his name? And if you notice, the man himself can't even respond. There is nothing within him that wants to respond anything personal about him because he is so taken over by what is going on. And what's the response? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Now, this is a borrowed Latin term, legio, and what it is the equivalent to is about 6,000 Roman soldiers. Now, that's not to say that this man is necessarily possessed by 6,000 demons, but at the same time, you and I can assume that it's definitely more than one. Because there are multiple things happening in this man at one time. But there's something interesting about it. There's something interesting about the whole exchange. Because it's almost as if both oppression and traces of the man are still there because there's this There's this wanting to be restored and there's this recoiling from it at the same time. We earnestly want the restoration Jesus alone can provide, but we recoil into patterns of self-destruction that are familiar and that we've grown comfortable with. There are things about you and I that are habitual, and we just can't seem to let go of them. And so, what do we do? We walk around pacing the place, scraping ourselves with all of these things that we can't let go of. And you know, this is a little uncomfortable and heavy, but you know what I'm talking about. You know those things about yourself, you know those things in your life that constantly eat away at you, that constantly have not been dealt with and have been left at the feet of Christ as you've prostrated yourself before him. Listen to this quote by Sinclair Ferguson. No man yields to Jesus easily by nature. Tragically, like Legion, Men often hold on to their bondage and evil rather than yield to the pain of transformation by Christ's power and grace. Do you see that? Yielding to the pain of transformation. There is pain associated with the transformation that Jesus offers us. Because it's contrary to To the things of the flesh. It's contrary to our nature. Let's move on. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. This is an economic catastrophe. We're talking about 2,000 pigs, unclean to the Jews, but a primary source of income to these Gentiles. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus They saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Listen to this. Jesus isn't really paying attention to the fact that he has just caused an economic hardship to these herdsmen. He's not there for the pigs. He's there for the person. In our lives, we need to understand and kind of give ourselves a break a little bit that as followers of Jesus, God actually delights in us. I've spent so many years believing that God was just angry at me for the things that I constantly do that are contrary to his character. Now, there's no doubt he wants us to bring those to him, and yield to his lordship yet once again. But there are things in our lives that we're just going to consistently battle. And we're going to battle them daily. And we have to submit them to the lordship of Christ. That's who he is, and that's what he does. And he delights in you. He's not angry with you. In Christ, he has demonstrated his grace and mercy towards you. And so maybe you need to hear that today, just like I needed to hear it this week. Verse 15, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. This is a beautiful posture of salvation itself. Because the man is no longer pacing. The man is no longer scraping himself. The man is no longer walking in and out of tombs. Amongst the dead. When we come into an encounter with Jesus, we're no longer pacing. We're no longer scraping ourselves with the inadequacies of our lives. We're sitting and we're in our right mind and we're no longer naked and we're in the presence of Jesus himself because restoration has taken place within our souls. And things are as they should be. When you have a legitimate encounter with Christ, something changes. And something continues to change daily in your life. Because you have now submitted yourself wholeheartedly to him. Therefore, he calls the shots. And you walk in obedience for the remainder of your days upon this earth. Listen to this quote by James R. Edwards. In the eyes of Jesus, the rescue and restoration of one person is more important than vast capital assets. Compared to the redemption of a human being, the loss of the swine herds, considerable though it was, does not rate mentioning. Jesus cares about you. You. He cares about you deeply he cares that you undergo such a transformation in your life that you will willfully respond in obedience for the remainder of your days upon this earth that's why the church is a powerful force we have been redeemed in such a way that we have been entrusted with the message of the gospel. Verse 18, As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell Them, how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. So Jesus is not going to take this man who he has healed with him. And Jesus, he's very intelligent about what he's accomplishing. Because If you know what Jesus was originally sent to do, his ministry is to the house of Israel. And he's just selected his 12 apostles. And so to have another man who is a Gentile, let alone join them, that would discredit Jesus' ministry to what he has been called to do at that particular time. But what does he do? he sends a Gentile back into Gentile territory. He's setting the stage for the hope of the gospel to eventually go into Gentile territory. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. Because this man is going to approach family friends and other friends and they're going to see A significant change that has taken place within him and he is going to be able to demonstrate the hope that rests within him after his encounter with Jesus so in the book in this book in mark this healed Gentile actually becomes the first missionary sent by Jesus himself he is a Gentile sent into Gentile territory And it's no different for us. You and I are Georgians sent into Georgia territory. Because the redemption that has taken place in our lives as followers of Jesus is so significant that other people can't help but wonder about what we've seen and heard. And so I have a question for you, and I have a question for me. How are our lives demonstrating the fact that such a transition has taken place within us? That we once carried with us the stench of death and eternal separation from Christ himself, that now we are the fragrance or the aroma of Christ. Here's just some observations. And I'll keep it Baptist for you. They're a bunch of P words. Jesus is the only one who has sufficient power to save you. That might seem simplistic, but we need to be reminded of that constantly. Constantly. Jesus is the only one who has the sufficient power to save you, initially and ongoing. As a culture, we're consistently putting our trust in things that ultimately disappoint us. They constantly don't deliver. The the sufficient power of Christ does. And as we mentioned before, yielding to the power of Jesus, it's going to be painful. There are things about you that you want to hold on to. There are things about you that you want to recoil from Jesus. But yet he's standing in front of us offering the hope of restoration. And he's giving it to us. He's offering it to us but yet as we've grown comfortable with everything that we do, everything that we've become accustomed to in our lives, we have this tendency to recoil from the hope that he offers us. Number three, Jesus cares more for the person than the provision. Two thousand pigs a large livelihood for this particular area drown he gave no regard for he's there for the person he's here for you and i today so whatever it is know that he cares more for you if you're constantly at battle with staring At abhorrent images of pornography. If you're allowing alcohol to assist you in making it through your day, to where you replace that with your time with Christ. If you can't stand your spouse anymore, you've tried for years. There's restoration that's offered in Christ. Whatever it is that you're dealing with today, whatever the struggle is, there is deliverance, there is hope in Christ. Jesus proves he is the Son of Man who came to seek and save that which was lost. Because if you realize, when he was on the lake crossing over the Sea of Galilee, and then after he had performed the the miracle of releasing this man from the oppression that he had been under, how do people respond to him? They're no longer thinking about the large storm or the demon-possessed man. They were terrified of what Jesus had done. In other words, they stood in awe of him and what he can do. May we be constantly in a state where we're standing in awe of what only Christ can accomplish. For your good, for his glory. He has this way of taking our attention and our affection from things and placing it completely upon him. And finally, Jesus is always present in the proclamation of his gospel. When we take the message of Jesus with us, when we go into our territory, when we're not weird with our proclamation. He's with us. He is present in the proclamation of his gospel. And he grants us the words of life to speak to the people that we encounter. So there's a decision for us that needs to be made today. Maybe for someone, that's to actually place your faith and your trust in Christ for the first time. And I I fear that we're becoming more removed from churchy terms that we've grown up with. So I'd like to identify a few of those today, and I'd like to give them appropriate definitions. I feel like we, we often have this thing where we throw around terms like repentance and Obedience and, you know, some people have an idea of what those mean, but at the same time, we're taking it from a biblical perspective. And we need to understand ourselves what we're saying to, to people. So when I talk about repent, I'm talking about the act whereby one turns from his or her sin, idolatry, and creaturely rebellion, and turns to God in faith. When I talk about believe... I'm saying to believe in God involves the element of trust, not mere acknowledgement of his existence. When I say surrender, it's the attitude of yielding to the authority of Christ. And when I say obey, it's hearing with reverence, it's hearing with awe and respect. Of who Christ is. So you turn from your actions that violate the moral standard of God by yielding your existence to the authority of Christ and believe that God has raised him from the dead in order to secure sin and death's defeat. And then you walk in awe and respect of that until you see Jesus face to face. Some of us, man, we're just pacing, we're anxiously pacing through life. We've clung to every insecurity, we've clung to every doubt, we've clung to every hope that Jesus could possibly deliver us from, yet he is available and he has set foot on the shore of your life to say, that a difference can be made. And we don't have to be the same anymore. There's deliverance that he offers and he alone offers. In just a minute, we're going to receive communion together. It's a beautiful picture of the church remembering the sacrifice that was made by Jesus himself on our behalf. And we invite you, if you are a baptized believer this morning, to participate in communion with us. As we take the bread, representing the body broken for us, and as we take the cup, representing the blood that covers the sins of the many. I pray this time of reflection this morning for us as a church would be sweet that we would recognize that without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. But because of what Christ has accomplished in his sinless life, in his substitutionary death for sins, in his burial in his bodily resurrection and coming soon, his imminent return. I pray that we would receive it with all the joy and gratitude our hearts can muster this morning. Because if you have been set free in Christ, you have something to talk about. And I have something to talk about So today may we be Georgians (laughs) set free to go into Georgia territory and to say how the Lord has had mercy on us. Let's pray together. Thanks so much for joining us online at the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us.